Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, what's up, kids? You know, I've been coming here, I think, probably 20 plus years, 25 maybe. I think I had hair when I started coming, so I don't tell you, it's, it's been a while. Uh, but everywhere I go, I'm in a different city and state every week, and I always like to start with a question because it just kind of gives me an idea of the demographic that I'm dealing with and how I should go from here. So what I'd like to know is, how many happy people do I have here? Wave your hand like this if you're happy. Like your goofy cousin would. Come on, wave it. Yeah. Trying to see there's two people. Oh, no, we all wave. That's good. Isn't it good to be in a church where everybody's glad? As he told you, I've been in ministry 45 years. I can think of a few times I was in a church when everybody was mad. So it's good to be in a place where everybody's like, say it, say I'm glad. glad. Y'all have heard that song, He's Made Me Glad? You know, you look at some people and it's like, I didn't want to be this way. (laughs) He made me glad. How many of you got something to be glad about? Huh? How many of you glad you didn't get what you deserve? We'd all be doing a hurt dance if we got that. So that's the blessings of God, is He always gives you better than you deserve, doesn't He? Everybody say better than. Better. How many of those, He not only gives you better than, He'll give you more than. Yes. Say better than, more than. Yes. How many of He not only give you better than you deserve and more than you deserve, how many of you who give it to you longer than you deserve? Yes. Everybody say better than, better. more than, more. longer than. Longer. Let me hear y'all say, that's how He rolls. How many of you know if he was ever that way, he's still that way today? Right? Because there's no changing in him. There's no shadow of turning. He doesn't change his mind. If he ever said something, that's what he meant, and it's what he still means. And so that's the blessings of serving him. That's why I serve him, because unlike people that I've known, he's never told me one thing and done something else. He's always been faithful. What's incredible to me, he's been faithful in times when I wasn't. Can anybody... Come on, quit being church people. How many of you can relate to that? That's right. So I've been coming here, as I said, 25, 30 years. How many of you here have never heard me? Raise your hand if you still don't know what to think of me. Okay, it's quite a few of you. Well, a little etymology on my life. I grew up in church. Um, when I say I grew up in church, I mean literally grew up in church. My family did tent revivals. Anybody here remember the concept of a tent revival? They had a huge tent seat, 3,000 people, sawdust on the floor, the wooden folding chairs. I learned to walk on sawdust, literally. Didn't have a house till I was seven. Grew up on a bus. My family did gospel music, so I grew up on a bus. I tell people I smell diesel fuel today, I still get excited. I probably need counseling. I love the smell of diesel fuel, but uh, that was my heritage. But even though my dad preached for 63 years, my grandfather preached for 78 years. Isn't that craziness? That ain't how long he lived. He lived to be 98. Preached 78 years. Was married to the same woman for 72 years. Drop the mic. Can you imagine? I've known people married 43 years to four people. This was 72 years to the same person. Incredible. So what I'm trying to tell you is I grew up in church. You know, I heard people say, well, every time they opened the doors, my family was there. And I'm like, excellent. My grandfather built the door. (laughs) He literally built churches throughout Wyoming, North Dakota, and Montana. So that was my heritage. But in the interest of being forthright with you, even though my dad was a preacher, my grandfather was a preacher, I was rebellious. Amen. A hellraiser. I'm just being honest. How many of you were ever rebellious? The rest of you are still liars, but that's fine. We all have our thing. You're struggling with that. I'm just telling you mine was rebellion. Um, And I ran my life into a pit as a consequence of it. How many of you here couldn't wait to get out of your parents' house? I don't want to be free. Nobody telling me what to do. I ran my life directly into a ditch. I didn't make it out of the driveway of my parents' home, and I drove my life straight into a ditch. And when I say in a ditch, I'm talking about front wheels of my life were down in the ditch, back wheels sticking up in the air, but I still have my foot on the accelerator, brother. Party! (laughs) And then some church people came to me. How many of you know church people are good to acknowledge the obvious? (laughs) They came to me and they said, you're going to hell. (laughs) Anybody here grew up in a church where hell had two syllables? (laughs) Hey! 
Sheol. I should have said it the right way to start with. You're going to hell, which I was. There was no question. But then one of them said something that impacted my life for, forever, for eternity, really. He said, you know, son, your life's in a pit. He said, it's there because of your choices. He said, you're the only reason that you're there. But he said, the good news is his love goes deeper than your pit. How many of you hear his love went deeper than your pit? Everybody in the room, raise your hand. Even back row people, raise your hand. Y'all ever notice back row people think they're untouchable? You know, I'm on the back row. You're not supposed to talk to me. That's a violation of code. Not when I'm here. You're all in fair game for me. So uh, that's the love of God is his love goes deeper than your pit. He brought me out and then revealed to me kind of like he just, you know, just rolled something out and said, check this out. And then he revealed to me that he'd had a call on my life actually from the time I was conceived. I mean, you know, that's not unique to me. Again, that's just how he rolls. I know we have Jeremiah 1, that it's an archetype for Jeremiah, but how many of you know it's true for all of us that he knows you. He knew you before your mom knew you were there. Before your daddy said, it's a boy. God already knew. Not only knew you, but knew the plans that he had for you. And so I was 18 before he revealed that to me because it was on a need to know basis and I didn't need to know yet. But then he revealed to me and, and, and told me his plan for my life. And so now this has been 45 years that I've been in full-time ministry. I marvel when I say that sometimes. That just seems like craziness. I'm glad to be here. My wife came with me in the early days. My wife is Susan. How many of y'all remember when she came here back in the early days? That's right. Um, how many of you here get her newsletter? A few of you do, and some of you are going, well, what, what's that? Well, the reason you don't get it is you've never signed up. Let me just tell you what she does. It's pretty remarkable. She uses horses to teach the Bible. And I'm just going to let that wash over you for a minute because that's kind of a remarkable concept and could seem weird to you unless you've actually read your Bible. How many of you have actually read it? Well, then you already know. How many of you know this is trivia, but it's not a trivial thing. How many of you know the horse is mentioned in Scripture more than any other animal? Furthermore, and how many of you here like horses? Raise your hand if you like horses. This is a participation Sunday. We'll have trophies for everybody when you leave. How many of you here like horses? Uh-huh. And the rest of y'all are aware Jesus is coming back on one? Something to contemplate. How many of you like horses now? Right. Giddy up. Well, my wife uses horses in ministry. She uses horses to teach you biblical principles. I call them mirror truths. It's remarkable how there are principles between the partnership between a horse and rider. And do we see a mirror of that in the partnership? How many of you know God desires beyond relationship with you? He wants a partnership with you. You have a relationship with a lot of people. But you can only have a partnership with somebody that you're 100% in agreement with. And that's what God desires with you. And it's remarkable how when you see a partnership between a horse and rider. See, some of you didn't raise your hands when I asked you if you like horses because some of you have been on a horse without a partnership. Right? The horse looked at you immediately and knew you know nothing. And as a consequence, he released you. <laughs> he said, it's not you, it's me. He released you. <laughs> And now you've got a horror story that you tell. But you see, if you understand partnership between horse and rider, my wife can do things with horses and you can't tell how she's doing it. In other words, many of us come from that thing of you, you pull to stop and you kick to go. But she can make the horse do all kinds of things and she don't have a bridle on it. No bid on it. She's just sitting on its back and it'll side pass to the left and side pass to the right, go forward, go back, spin and do all these things. Partnership. That's what God desires with you. And when you have a really unique partnership, someone who's really gifted and hours have been spent together, she can do things on that horse and, and you look and figure, how is she doing that? It's completely imperceptible, but they're in such sync. That's what God wants with each of you. That's right. So they didn't have to be behind you going, yeah! but he can just whisper a hint and you go. She has a remarkable gift of doing that, and she does it through an email newsletter, sends it out twice a month. And if you don't get it, then I'm getting ready to say something to you maybe never heard a preacher say in church. I'm giving you a minute to think, what in the world is he going to say? Everybody take out your phone. That's right. I said it. Take out your phone. Some of y'all look at me like I don't have one. Liar. You all have a phone. Take out your phone. And here's what I want you to do. Go to Google, and I want you to type Susan Clout. 
funny last name, K-L-A-U-D-T. Susan, K-L-A-U-D-T. If you just type Susan Clout Horse, I bet it comes up. Susan Clout Horse Ministry. That is her website. When you get that, scroll about halfway down and you'll see a section that says contact us. If you just type in your email address there, you'll start getting her newsletter. I'm using the word promise here. I promise what she does will bless you. It's totally free. We require nothing of you other than just to, to be in agreement with us that we want God's best for your life. And she has people all over the world. She had somebody the other day from Qatar in the Middle East, an Islamic nation. And he said, I've seen what you do with horses. And though I'm Muslim, he said, it is fascinating to me. I want to know more. If, if she can reach him, she can reach you. And so if you put your email address in there, you'll start getting it. And I promise it'll be a blessing to you. She's been kind of, uh, she had a serious injury about nine weeks ago. She broke a tendon in her hand that had to be surgically reattached. Um, and so it's been a bit of a challenge for her to work the mouse and type. Um, but she is putting them out and, and it'll be a blessing to you. And I promise you'll enjoy it. So uh, once you've done that, you can put your phone up. And, and I got a good word for you today. Look at your neighbor and say, this is going to be a good one. Somebody didn't say anything. You're still looking at me in shock. Look at somebody and say, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. Uh, here's what I want to do. I want to make sure, you know, it's a challenge for me as a speaker. We've got young people in here today, 10, 11, 12 years old, right? And so a challenge for me is to reach an audience that has such a broad age group because I've got 10 and 12 year olds and I can see some of you here pushing 40. <laughs> the Bible says call that that is not as though it were pushing 40. <laughs> and so for me, I want to it's a challenge of, of how can I reach and, and keep the attention of everybody. And so what I want to do is, is a simple question. How many of you here want tomorrow to be better than today? Amen. I thought you could all sign up. How many of you want next month to be better than this month? and 2024 to be better in 2023. I think we all want that. We're all looking for more than, better than, and longer than, right, that I talked about. So how does that happen? I mean, are you just on a run and, and you, you just don't, you never know. Okay, so Ross, so the fact is you and I play a partnership. That's what I've been talking about with God to see his will accomplished in your life. Yeah. So what I want to do is let's by deductive reasoning say this. If you want tomorrow to be better, next month to be better, next year to be better, can we agree some things will have to change? Yes. Right. Now, you know, you ask some people, are you happy? Have you ever asked somebody if they were happy? Yes. Or, or you ask, how you doing? You know, when we ask in our culture, how you doing? We, we don't really want to know. But have you ever had somebody tell you, how you doing? Well, sit down and I'll tell you. you know I mean, they got all these problems, you know, and they're, are you happy? Well, I mean, you do the math. I'm married to him. <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't for her, I could be happy. I mean, hmm. And so people infer that it, they can't be happy because who they've partnered with. Other people, it isn't who they're married to. It's their job. Complain about their job. Come home unhappy every day. I mean, if I, I would be happy if I were just paid what I'd work. That's, I just want to be appreciated. Other people, it's not who they're married to. It's not their job. It's their car. The engine blew on my car this week. I'm talking about literally total loss. My flesh wanted to fuss, particularly when I was sitting on the side of the road for two and a half hours waiting for a wrecker to come. The insurance said, oh, we got somebody coming from... Tuscaloosa, but he'll be there in time. I live in Tennessee. It wasn't that bad, but it seemed like it. Uh, you know, a lot of people, it's their car. If, it, if I just had a decent car, then I'd be happy. Other people, it's not who they're married to. It's not their job. It's not their car. It's their house. How many of you know somebody complains about where they live? I mean, clearly it's none of you, but how many of you know somebody that fusses out? We live in a land of broken. You know, if it wasn't a duct tape and bungee cords, our house would fall down. And people have this inference and this idea that if everything around them changed, well, then they'd be happy. But how many of you have learned that is not how God does his work? It isn't to say he couldn't do it from the outside in. My experience with him is he does the majority of his work from the inside out. So can we agree? Everybody look at me. Can we agree that if you want tomorrow to be better next month, next year, etc., to be better, that what really needs to change is you. Everybody on this side of the room, let me hear y'all say, I know I need to change. Over there. Ladies, if you'd like, 
if you want to take your phone out and video him saying that, because uh, this could be a rarity, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Abenderim, say it again. I know I need to change. I know I need to change. Okay. Now, then the question becomes, what needs to change in you? You know, the Bible teaches us that we're created in the image of God, Genesis 1:26, and God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. It isn't just that we're created on the same chassis or if you're a computer person with the same motherboard. We're created in the image of God in that He is a Trinity, right? He's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me hear everybody over here say, He's a Trinity. Trinity. Exclamatory from the back of the throat. He's a Trinity. He's He's a Trinity. Trinity. Good. With a smile on your face. He's He's a Trinity. Trinity. It's true. He is a Trinity. By deductive reasoning over here, if we're created in His image and we know that He's a Trinity, Trinity, then what do we know about us? We are a Trinity. That's right. So your line is, He's a Trinity. He's a Trinity. I'm a Trinity. I'm a Trinity. Exactly. So we're created in the image of God. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're spirit, soul, and body. Say it this way. I am a spirit. I am a spirit. Have a soul. I live in a body. Right. Now, when you got born again, I'm going to work on the assumption you're in church on a Sunday morning, a beautiful Sunday morning. You could have been anywhere. So I figure if you're here, and I know you may not all be, but I'm just going to give you that presumption that you're born again. So if you're born again, let me ask you, how many of you, when you got born again, got a new brain? If you're sitting there thinking about it, it's proof you didn't. (laughs) Right? Right. The fact is, you didn't get a new brain. Now the question then becomes, why didn't you? Why didn't God give you a new mind? Well, quite frankly, because the scripture says that's your responsibility. Romans 12, 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, in view of God's mercies, that you what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him. And don't conform to the patterns of the women of the view. (laughs) I mean, don't conform to the patterns of this world. (laughs) Same difference. But be ye what? Transformed. There it is. She's got it up for us. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, God doesn't change your mind, quite frankly, because you can. Right? Ladies, can we all agree that that is the spiritual domain of estrogen? (laughs) Changing your mind. Right? I mean, that is your spiritual gift. I don't think there's any, don't look down and look shy, ladies. You know it's true. I'm married to one of you. I'll, I'll be walking through the house sometime and I'll catch my wife and she's just standing. If she ever stands for long, she'll start tapping her foot and kind of looking up and down. It always reminds me of the first time we met. She just kind of stood there and looked me up and down. And she's standing there looking at the wall. And I see it and I know something's up. And so I try to get away and I hear, Kim, Kim. Look, I know you hear me. Come here. So I come in here. What is it? She goes, I was thinking. I said, that's why I was trying to get away. My experience is when she starts thinking, I have to do stuff. She says, I was thinking. I said, what were you thinking, baby? She said, I want us to paint this wall. We have a lot of walls. I don't know if y'all call this mauve, but I mean, uh, taupe, but I'm going to call that taupe. I call it utopia. And so she says, I I want us to paint this wall taupe. I said, baby, it's done. I'll do it for you. She says, okay. Now, what I will tell you is she always says, I want us to paint that wall. (laughs) Now, she and I both know in 45 years, us has never painted anything. (laughs) There's one of us that paints. The other one just stands back and evaluates. (laughs) What happened here? Were you watching the race? What happened here? (laughs) And so... I paint the wall, and not six weeks pass. I hear a foot tapping. How many married men do I have here? Raise your hand if you're a brother in the struggle. All right. How many of you here know where all the squeaky places on the floor in your house? Of course you do. And you carefully avoid those places when you're trying to make a clean getaway. And I hear her say, Kim, look, I saw you. I know you're in here. Come here. So I come in there, what is it? She goes, I was thinking. I said, what were you thinking now? She goes, I want us to repaint this wall. I said, baby, I just painted it for you. She goes, I know. But I've changed my mind. (laughs) How many men have felt the scourge of I've changed my mind? Now, here's what's crazy. As a young man, I didn't know any better. And I thought, well, just because she's changed hers doesn't mean I have to change mine. (laughs) But that was a rookie mistake. That's, 
swimming upstream. How many of you know people don't rent inner tubes then to kick and swim up the river? Because that's hard. And I learned that in the first few years of marriage, that this is really hard. I found that it's much easier to go with the flow. So as a consequence, you might be able to connect the dots here. How often do I change my mind? Every time she does. Thank you, that's right. You have him well trained. You should be teaching something here. That's right. So God didn't give you a new brain, didn't change your mind, because quite frankly, you can. Did you get a new body? How many of you are more bummed about the body deal than the brain deal? You know, you're thinking this body's taking me as far as it could go. We got to do something here. Why doesn't God, why doesn't God change your body? Because you can. Seriously. I've been married to 45 years, but I've been married to a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead. And sometimes all three at once. Right? Because how many know you can change your body? How many of you, y'all have watched Discovery Channel and them things? You can add to your body. You can subtract that stuff from here and put it there. <laughs> so God doesn't change your body because quite frankly, you can. So what does change when you get born again? Your heart. Paul called him the hidden man of the heart. The real you. God changes the part you never could. That's how he got me out of a pit. He had to change my heart first. And then Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, it's my responsibility to change my body. It's my responsibility to change my mind. And so if you want tomorrow to be better, if you want next month to be better, next year to be better, here's, here's what I'm going to say to you. I think what really needs to change is an area in your life that's roughly from here to about here. How many of you have learned that most of your problems don't come from hell? I mean, it's not demons and devils. You know, demons and devils are not your greatest challenge. How many of you could admit it's the command module? Yes. And so what I want to talk about today, in short, is changing how you think. Jesus taught in Matthew 12 a wonderful parable about this. So we look, if you have your Bible, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to begin with verse 33. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Now, as a student of the word, I bet you know that every word is important. Amen? Every word. So in this passage, the word I want you to look at is the very first word. What's the very first word Jesus spoke? Either. Whenever you hear the word either, what's the first thing? The power of words is that if you hear one word, it makes you think of another. When you hear the word either, what's the first thing you think of? Choices. Choices. Change. Everybody do this. Yeah. If you don't do this, you have the will of God. Everybody do this. <laughs> Back row people, y'all do it? Thank you. Right. Either. So the subject matter that Jesus is going to teach, don't get confused and look at other things. His subject matter is choices. He says either, and then the second word is make. So you take this choice and you make it, you assert it. He says either make the tree good and what will be the consequence? The fruit will be good or make the tree corrupt and what will be the consequence? The fruit will be corrupt because how do you recognize a tree? How many of you here can actually recognize a tree by looking at it? I mean, how many of you here can say, you know, that's a apple tree? Or, I mean, if it has apples on it, I can tell that. Or pecans. But once you get past peaches, pecans, apples, and cherries, if you ask me, I'll just say it's a big one. <laughs> right? So he says here, you can recognize a tree by the fruit that it produces. Pastor and I were talking, we had dinner last night, and I was saying to him, you know, this is a principle. Everybody look at me. God judges everything by the fruit it produces. Why? Parenthetically, let me tell you this. When the Lord told the Israelites, I got a land flowing with milk and honey for you. They didn't fully believe him. They sent in 12 spies. Not everybody could go. 12 men went. What did they bring back to prove that the land was a land of milk and honey? They bought back literal fruit. God evaluates everything by the fruit it produces because in Genesis 1, he blessed everything. Starting in Genesis 1, 26, the Bible says, and he blessed them and said, be what? Be fruitful, multiply. At the end of the day, God is not going to judge you by what's on your business card. Anybody can print a business card. God ain't going to judge you by what you got on your website or your brochure. Anybody can print a brochure. Your life is going to be evaluated by the fruit that it's produced. 
And so Jesus says here, you can tell if a tree is good or bad by the fruit it produces. But let me ask you this. He said, in order for the tree to be good or the tree to be bad, what do the first two words say? You have to make a choice to make it good. How many know there's no such thing as a bad tree? And I'm going to prove it to you. How many of you here like to breathe? Tough habit to kick, isn't it? How many know oxygen don't come in a bottle? Where does oxygen come from? Trees. Incredibly. Doesn't matter what tree it is. Trees take what we exhale, which is actually toxic to us. That's why if they put a bag over your head, you can continue to breathe, but you're going to die very soon because what you exhale is literally poison. Incredibly. Say incredibly. Incredibly, trees take that. And with the aid of the sun through photosynthesis, return it to us as, drum roll, pure oxygen. Let me hear y'all say Shazam. Shazam. So every tree is good. And yet Jesus said a tree could be good or bad. How does the tree become good or bad? First two words. Choice. Choice. Jesus wasn't there to talk to them about horticulture. He wasn't an arborist. He was there to talk to them about the choices in their life. Now, if you know anything about Jesus, he loved to teach through parables. So he'd give you a word picture and then he'd bring it home. Let me hear y'all say, break it down. That's what Jesus did. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 34. He says, you generation of fiber. He called him a snake. I mean, that's not always a great way to endure yourself to people is, you know, call him a snake. But he says, you're a generation. In other words, you're not just snakes. Your mom and dad were too. You're a generation of vipers. How can you, being evil, say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How many of you know, everybody look at me. Same way a tree produces fruit, how many of you know the same way your mouth produces fruit? Say that with me. My mouth produces fruit. Say every time. Say anytime. Say all the time. Say every time, anytime, all the time. Every time, anytime, all the time that you open your mouth, your mouth is producing fruit. It is bringing forth fruit. Look at the next verse. Jesus says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Now let's just stop and look at those first three words. A good man. And then let's look an evil man. Three words in the second line. Are people born good and evil? You know, if you listen to the culture out there, they would have you to believe that based on the color of your skin, you're a particular way. That's right. Come on, y'all. Of course, that's what they're leading you to believe out there, that based on your skin color, and then you throw in gender. Oh, no, wait a minute. How many of y'all are aware there's a difference? You see, that's something out there that kind of vacillates, right? They're not entirely sure. You know, I grew up in an era where you could tell he was a man because he had tattoos and he bench pressed a lot of weight, right? Or he had a deer on the wall, 10 point buck. And right next to the deer was what? A 10 pound bass. I'm a man. He can tell you about the bass. The barometer was falling. It was 52 degrees. It was the first week of March. I'd been casting all day, and then we came to this third boat dock, and on the third, boom, boom, he was, he was so big, he was pulling the boat. I mean, guys can tell you the details of everything because I'm a guy. I'm a man. But how many of you know, none of those things make you a man? Whenever I talk to men's group, I always tell them, look, just because you got a tattoo and a Harley and uh, you've got a bass on a wall and a buck, that don't make you a man. And you know how I know that? Because I've seen women do all that stuff. And quite frankly, her bass is bigger than yours. And her tattoo may be too. You're going to have to back up and punt if you think that makes you a man. And in our culture today, they're not even sure. We're not, wouldn't y'all have thought our nation's 240 plus years old? Wouldn't y'all have thought that is something we'd have pretty well wrestled to the ground by now? The difference between a man and a woman? But they would have you to believe there is no difference. One word comes to my mind. In fact, three words come to my mind when I hear that. You know what they are? That ain't right. Let me all say, that ain't right. How many know there is a difference? Let me all say, there's a difference. Just to prove that and bring it home. How many of you remember the first time you recognized? 
<laughs> Come on, quit being church people for a minute. How many remember the first time you went, Shazam? <laughs> Golly, I had no idea. <laughs> and you know what's remarkable? God made it that way. There, he made them male and female. And he did so because he blessed everything to produce. And the only way he could produce was if you made male and female. Come on, y'all. Roosters don't lay eggs. Come on. Well, we live in a culture today that people think, I'm wearing a woman's bathing suit. I must be a woman. What's the problem? You're wearing a woman's bathing suit. That's what the problem is. Well, no, I am a woman. No, you're not. Yes, I am. You're mean-spirited. You're a bigot. Listen, it's not confusing. I don't care what they're telling you out there. It is not confusing. There's a difference. And here's what's wild. You don't even have to be alive for us to prove there's a difference. Well, you can be alive. We'll just do a DNA test. And the culture gets offended. Oh, you're mean-spirited. No, God made it that way. God has the patent on mankind. You see, you can't stand up and say, I wrote, let it be. I wrote, hey Jude. No, you didn't. Lennon and McCartney wrote that. And in the same way you can't violate their copyright infringement, you can't stand up and say, I am now a woman. No, you're not. Because God made you male or female. And the DNA will prove it. And as I said, you don't even have to be alive. We can dig your body up. You could be dead in 100 years. And I said, well, all the tears and bones in a woman's bathing suit. Doesn't matter. That's a man. (laughs) DNA proves it. And so we'll break this thing down. He said people are good or evil. And how many of you know they're not good or evil from birth? They're not good or evil because of who their daddy is. They're not good because they're an Alabama man or an Auburn man. I don't know if y'all noticed, but I moved over here. (laughs) And moving targets are hard to hit. (laughs) I learned something about you Alabama people, and I'm not talking about just Alabama, but uh, I I was invited to preach in Tuscaloosa. I don't know what year Saban came, y'all will. What year did he come? When? 2007. 2007? Okay. 2007, I was invited to preach at a church in Tuscaloosa. Got a call the week before I was to be there, and they said, Brother Kim, we got a problem. I said, what is it? They said, well, it's Coach Saban's first game. (laughs) And we can't find you a hotel room. They said, we did find you one in Trustville. I actually crossed the international date line that morning coming. I said, well, get it. By all means, get it, because I'm not driving from Cleveland. And so I drove from Trustville to Tuscaloosa to preach that morning. Now, I'm a sports fan. I knew this story, but I played dumb when I got there. And I said, hey, let me, I'll ask you. I said, uh, was it a big game? Oh, yeah, sellout. 93,000 or whatever the stadium holds. And I said, man, I said, well, who did they play themselves? It was the spring game. (laughs) That is how crazy you Alabama people are about football. (laughs) People came from all over. Yeah, we're going to play ourselves. So how many of you know people aren't good or bad? At least they won. Thank you, Pastor. I like people who have that perspective of finding the bright spot in anything. That's right. That's good, brother. That's good. Nobody went home disappointed, did they? That's right. Well, I'm trying to say to you is you're not. In in spite of what the culture tells you, you're not good because you're a white female and you're not bad because you're a white female. You're not good because you're a black man and you're not bad because you're a black man. You're good or bad, or as Jesus said, good or evil because of choices choices you make. Choices. Choices. See, when Jesus talked about a tree being good or bad, he said you have to make it that way. So in the same way now, he breaks it down. Everybody say it. Break it down. He said a good man is not good because who his mom or dad are, because of the color of his skin. How goofy to even imply that because of the function or the concept or the amount of pigment in my skin makes me superior to you or, that or, not, or, or inferior to you. Goofy. Craziness. But that's where we're at today. People are being pitted against one another. You're being led to believe you've got to hate them because of the color of skin. You've got to hate them because of their chromosomes. It's craziness. It is. It is. 
And there's the deal. God died for all of us. Amen. Amen? Amen. How many of you, it's an easy thing as church people to look at people. Oh, judge them. Look at them. I have a friend, I'll tell you a quick story. She's one of the most anointed and gifted Bible teachers in the country. And she was asked to speak. This has been 25 years ago. She was asked to speak at the National Women's Aglow Conference. Does Women's Aglow still exist? But it was a big deal at one time, right? And so she's the keynote speaker. Thousands of women in this big conference hall. And she said, and she told me this story right before she spoke. They had a woman up and they said, this young lady's going to share a testimony. The girl got up and told how when she was like nine years old, her dad started abusing her sexually. And by the time she was in her early teens, he had her into prostitution. Then she got hooked on heroin. And then in order to support her heroin habit, she was willfully doing prostitution. But then a street ministry came down and literally rescued her from her pimp, got her out of that hell hole and shared Jesus with her. And now here today, as she got up and shared her testimony, she runs a ministry very much like that, going out and helping people who are literally bound up and brokenhearted. My friend said, I listened to that whole thing and said, I got to follow this. I mean, sexually abused, eight or nine years old, prostitution, heroin addiction, and now she's a minister. She said, how am I going to follow that? She said, because Kim, the first thing I was thinking was, I'm a preacher's kid. She said, I never heard my mom or dad say a cuss word. She says, I don't think I've ever said a cuss word. She said, you know what's crazy, Kim? She says, she talked about all the drugs. and She said, I wouldn't know the difference in vodka and water. <laughs> I said, Jeanette, there is a difference. Trust me. She said, well, I wouldn't know it. And she said, I'm thinking there, how am I going to follow this? How can I even stand up after this? I've never done things like that. And she said, the Lord spoke to her and said, daughter, I had to forgive you of a far worse sin than anything that young lady did. Because I had to deliver you of self-righteousness. I couldn't believe she even told me that story. It was so powerful. And so it's very easy for you and I. We're sitting here. We've been helped, as Mike Warnke used to say. We've received help. We've been delivered. Don't look down your nose at the people who have not. That's where you were before his love went deeper than your pit. And so don't judge people on how they look or how they act. Love them all. Amen. He says a good man, if he isn't good because of who his parents are, if he isn't good because he's a Mopar man or a Ford man, what is it that makes him good? His choices. Choices. Now look how Jesus said it. He says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. Whereas an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things. Now, remember I said when you hear one word, it makes you think of another? Jesus says here, a good man out of the good treasure. I don't want you to just speak out. Raise your hand. But when you hear the word treasure, what's the first thing you think of? Raise your hand if you got an answer. Treasure. Yes, sir. Money. Money. Who else? Treasure. Yes, ma'am. Jewelry. Diamonds and gold. Silver. Jade. Pearls. All the above. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. See, I was thinking that all of y'all immediately are going to be more spiritual than me. Because somebody was thinking that you just thought it'd be too sappy to say, family, my husband, my wife. I wish I were that person. I'm not, however. Just to be forthright with you, when I hear the word treasure, you know what I think of? Pirates! <laughs> Hardy har! Hardy har! I got a peg leg and a pair of ah, patch. Hardy har! How many of you here, when you think, is anybody else here as demented to me? Thank you. I pre- You're probably just being nice, but I appreciate that. Now, why were y'all not raising your hand? <laughs> y'all are sitting there like, oh, I don't know. I've never heard the word treasure. Well, what does that mean? Pirates. That's what I think of pirates, because as you said, everybody's looking for the pirates' buried treasure. Right? And what do they all want? They all want the map so they can find the buried treasure. Well, Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart. In other words, the man is good because of what he has treasured in his heart. How do you treasure things in your heart? I'm going to give you a word picture and maybe just a a vision of how you treasure things. Everybody take your right hand. Hold it up just to prove to me you have one. (coughs) 
Good. Brandish it about like this. Yes. Take your hand now. I want you to take it and place it upon your jaw. Cock your head about 30 degrees and go. That's how you treasure. You do it all the time. You do it every day. You're doing it right now. You've been doing it the whole day. You sit there and you look at things, you evaluate, and then you think about it. And whatever your choices are in your thought life is what determines your fruit life. Whatever your choices are in your thought life, how many know that's the law of the harvest? It always reproduces in like kind. In other words, if you put corn in the ground, if you put a corn seed in the ground, anybody here grow up on a farm? Yeah. Raise your hand. You ladies did? Are y'all here together? Is that your mama? I'm teasing. So you both grew up on the same farm? Okay, what did y'all plant? Impressive. Uh, what all did you have in your garden? Cotton. Oh, even cotton. But of the things we could eat, what did you have? Oh, glory. Watermelon. Corn. Tomatoes. How many of y'all glad her family was on the job here? This is pretty good. <laughs> Corn and tomatoes, we got clothes to wear, all because of them. So, a remedial thing. If I plant corn, what am I going to get? Corn. Really? How many of y'all believe him? Yeah. I mean, he seems sincere. <laughs> I, I admit some people could seem sincere and they're not, but I, I believe. How many, if you raise, raise your hand if you believe that they're sincere and you concur with their answer. Right. So just for, you know, illustrative, illustrative sake, how many of you know corn farmers don't put corn in the ground and then go around to all their neighboring farmers and say, would y'all be in agreement with us? We're rebuking squash and tomatoes. <laughs> And we're believing God for corn. I mean, you know, it's not necessary. Because that's the first law of the harvest. You reap in like kind to what you sow. So by definition, whatever your thought life is, is what your fruit life is going to produce. Amen? Wave your hand and say, I know that's right. If you want to change your life, you're going to have to change how you think. About what? Probably everything. About other people. How many of you here have ever judged other people? Raise your hand. I'm going to make you raise your hand. Uh-huh. Yep. We all have. Don't do it. It's wrong. Aren't you glad people don't judge you? How many of you have ever been the victim of being judged? You'll have to have faith to believe this, but there was a time in my life I had really, really long hair. And I remember right after I got saved, I walked in. I still looked like a freak, but I love Jesus. But I felt people judging me. And I can remember even before I got born again. I was one of them people only come to church if there were poinsettias or Easter or uh, lilies in the church, if you know what I mean. It was either Christmas or Easter. I usually went as a favor to my mom. What a goofy thing. I thought I'm doing mom a favor if I show up at church. And I remember when I'd come in the lobby, as soon as I came in, people would look and I saw people taking their small children, <laughs> fathers taking their daughters. And then I remember I called them the committee of the concerned. A group of ushers, they would get me over in the corner. Where you been, boy? You was in that club last night, weren't you, boy? Playing your loud guitar, were you, boy? Huh? It's hot and sweaty in there, wasn't it, son? I remember thinking, were you there? <laughs> I mean, you are spot on, but I didn't see you. <laughs> hot and sweet in there, wasn't it, boy? I'm just sitting there, and they said, you know what else is hot, son? hey That used to be the thing I got, and I hadn't even made it in the building yet. And people were judging me on my appearance. Don't do it, it's wrong. Wave your hand and say, I know that's right. So Jesus said, a good man is good, not because he went to school, not because of the car he drives, not because how he's dressed. He's good because of what he treasures. The Bible says, as you think in your heart, that's what you are. The world wants you to believe you are what you eat. How many know the deeper truth is you are what you think? Wave your hand and say, I know that's right. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You prove to people every day what's in your mind. You don't want to, but how many of you have learned whatever's here is eventually going to come out of here? Because the Lord said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's the next verse. Right? 
How many of you here would be uncomfortable if everybody in this room knew what you were thinking? <laughs> That's right. One honest young man. I appreciate you, young man. The rest of these folks are not nearly as spiritually developed as you. They were all going, oh, no, not me. <laughs> yeah, I bet who's sitting next to you right now might get up. I don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> That's what you were thinking? <laughs> What's incredible, God does know what we're thinking. And eventually, check this out, so will everyone else. Because though you try to keep it down here, how I many you know is all it takes the right circumstances, the right pressure, the right shaking, and what's in your heart is going to come out. Wave your hands, I know that's right. So the good man bringeth forth good treasure. You'd like to look and think you can decide what everybody's thinking, but you can't, can you? How many of you have ever been with somebody that you've known for years and they say something and you're going, what? Who are you? What have you done with my son? Or whatever. Because we try to keep things hidden. I like to share this story because I think it illustrates that whatever's in here is eventually going to come out. How many of you here like waiting for a refill on your beverage at a restaurant? That's what I thought. It's not a long line for that, is there? Who here would like to wait on a refill? Not me either. And so that's why when they come and ask me, would you like a refill? I'm always like, well, I ordered the 50-gallon drum with an IV drip. Absolutely. Early and often. Sweet tea. How many of you like sweet tea? Glory to God. How many know there's some problems in life only sweet tea can solve? <laughs> it's been my experience. And the one that it doesn't solve, it makes it better, doesn't it? And so I hate waiting on refills. But that is also why I'm completely comfortable and actually enjoy that some restaurants now allow me to get my own beverage. Admittedly, it's extra work, right? But how many of you here are, are good knowing that you can refill it at a whim? How many of you appreciate that fact? I do. Now, convenience stores are the same way. They actually allow you to go over there. Now, you don't have to go there and buy a bottled Coke. You can go fill it yourself. Now, let me ask you a question. Will we get real here? How many of you here fill the glass to the absolute top? Raise your hand if you do that. Yes, sir, your wife was trying to out you, but I knew it already. You know why I knew it? What's your name? Alice. Al Alan. You know why I knew it, Alan? Because you're a guy. <laughs> Say it, I'm a man. Say it with some authority, I'm a man. <laughs> Help him, look at him and say, baby, you the man. That's right. Her baby wasn't even rusty. She pulled it straight out. Baby, you the man. That's right. <laughs> and so if you're like me, Alan, you go and fill that glass all the way to the top, don't you? Have you ever done this, Alan? Have you ever filled it so full that if you look at it from the side, <laughs> it's higher than the edge. And you're thinking, where's Isaac Newton? <laughs> or Figaro, his brother. Somebody's got to explain to us why. <laughs> now let me ask you, Alan, when you get it that full, at that point, what do you do? Thank you, because that is exactly what I call it, a courtesy sip. <laughs> Many of you have done it. It has now been identified for you what it is called. It's a courtesy sip. In fact, I want everyone in the room on the count of three to make the sound that you make to remedy this problem of your glass being too full. One, two, three. Of course. <laughs> of course that's what you do. Now we're going to find out what kind of man you are, Alan. Yes, sir. I'd like to shake your hand. Clearly, we have the same daddy. That's right. Once you take your courtesy sip, and my explanation for that is you want to be sure it's not flat. Right? You want to get in the car with four hours of driving a flat Coke. So you test it, but then you've got to get it back up to the level where it was. Before. Now, I've done that for most of my life until I got married. And then about 10 years into our marriage, we were at a place and I filled it all the way up and I went, and I heard, Kim. <laughs> Anytime my name has two syllables, I know there's trouble. <laughs> Kim. And of course, as a guy, Alan, what do we say at a time like that? What? Thank you. <laughs> Very impressive. That's right. We say, what? Because <laughs> of course, that buys you time. You may know exactly what, but it buys you some time, doesn't it, Alan? I don't want to out you here, but that is what it does. It outs us. Hey, it buys us some time, some time. Well, only this time, I really didn't know what. She goes, you know what? And I said, know what? She goes, you dinosaur? <laughs> she called me a dinosaur. I said, what? 
are you talking about? She said, why would you do that where everyone in here heard you? I said, do what? She goes, sip that like that. I was like, oh, I just got it too full. I mean, that's not complicated. It was full. That's why. She goes, well, don't fill it that full. I said, it already was. And she said, well, then pour some out. You know what my first thought was? I'm going to need counseling. If I pour any of this out, I said, there's thirsty people in India. I'm not pouring any of this out. She's kind of hard-headed. Now, I admit I am, but I've realized I prefer being happy. And so now I've got to come with a solution here that makes me feel good about myself, but I am not pouring any out. I'm just not. And so here's what I came up with. You ever done that walk, Alan? Yeah. And how many know it's all good until a party of seven with five children under the age of seven all gets up to leave and then what happens? You get bumped to and what's inside comes out. See, and this is what's so powerful about this. You think you're keeping your thoughts to yourself and no one will ever know. But the fact is when the shaking comes in your life, what you've been treasuring is going to come out. And just like that Coke that spills, how many of you know it doesn't always just get on you? Sometimes what you spill gets on innocent people around you. And what you've been treasuring doesn't only hurt your life, but the life of others. And that's why if you want tomorrow to be better, you want next month to be better, you want next year to be better, you're going to have to change the quality of your thought process. Paul said it this way, you got to cast down vain imaginations, high-minded thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. In short, you have to do like you ladies have been doing for most of your life. You have to change your mind. You have to choose not to think those things. You have to choose to say, it is my choice to think on good things. It isn't that bad thoughts don't ever come. It's if you sit and entertain it. You treasure it. Don't do it. Look at the next part of the verse. He said, an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. How did the evil man become evil? Because of what he treasures. How many of you here have ever had a GPS? I mean, before the days of your, all of your phones have one now. But how many remember you when you had to buy them? $300. Tom, Tom, whatever. And if you remember, if you ever got one of those deals and you programmed it, I, I marveled when it would ask this question. Would you like to know the shortest route? <laughs> and I was like, I've been every other way. Yes, I would like to know the shortest route. That's the only reason I paid $300 for you and the update on the maps. And how many know the shortest route is a direct line, right? Like here, like the crow would fly. Everybody look at me. How many of you know that the quickest way, the quickest route to evil town is unforgiveness? Quickest way to being able to be declared evil is unforgiveness. What? But I was done wrong. Everybody is. Everybody in this room has been hurt. Raise your hand if you've all been done wrong. You had somebody hurt you. You didn't deserve it. People did things to you. You might have even been able to say, I'm a victim. But how many of you know, if you hold on to that and you allow victimhood to define who you are, your whole life you're going to be miserable and angry at other people and blame everything that happens to you on them. It's because of him. No. It's because of how you responded. Because I bet, raise your hand again just so I can prove it to you. How many of you have been hurt and done wrong? Look around. All of you here that have got on your, on your business card, I'm a professional victim. <laughs> Everybody in this room's been hurt. Everybody in this room's been hurt. How many of you here have been hurt bad enough it made you cry? Come on, don't lie in church. You'll cry over that later. How many of you here have been hurt bad enough? How many of you have been hurt bad enough? It could have changed the trajectory of your life. That's serious business. Yeah. Now, how many of you here have hurt somebody that same way? Yeah. Everybody in here. So he can't say, this is who I am. I own and I have a professional handle on being a victim. Because everyone's been victimized. But it can only control your life if you allow it. If you treasure, I'm a victim. 
If you treasure I'm a victim, this year's going to be worse than last year. You're going to be constantly unhappy. Forgive. Don't hold on to whoever hurt you. Forgive him. He didn't ask. He may never. What's crazy is you're angry at him. You've been angry at him all these years. But you know what he's doing today? Bass fishing. <laughs> you're angry at her. You've been mad at her for years. You know what she's doing? Shoe shopping. She's doing BOGO on shoes. <laughs> she's got the biggest grin on her face telling all of her friends, she hadn't thought about you in 40 years. But you sit there and hold on to it. Here's what's incredible. When you hold unforgiveness towards somebody, it doesn't change their life. It robs you of yours. And nothing gets you quicker to evil town than unforgiveness. That's the evil man. He's been done wrong and holds on to it. He lets it determine his life, how he feels, how he thinks, how he acts, how he talks. Don't do it. Let it go. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, let it go. In fact, everybody do this. Take your index finger. Kind of wiggle it. Now take your index finger and start tapping in the middle of your chest until it annoys you. <laughs> Some of you are easily annoyed, aren't you? Some of them are going, come on, get in there. Say this to yourself, let it go. Let it go. Hey, can we agree it's robbed you of enough? Huh? Yeah. Hasn't it robbed you? You don't have to write a note on that. You know it's robbed you. You've been hurting. This might have been somebody did something to you when you were a teenager. Somebody you should have been able to trust and love, but hasn't it robbed you of enough? You're 25 now. You're 35. You're 45. You're 55. It was 20 years ago, 30 years, 40 years ago. And how about people that have heard over something that happened 150 years ago? That feels cool. Get your finger out. <laughs> Say it. Let it go. Here's the deal. When you forgive them, it doesn't change their life. And here's what's incredible. It might surprise you. It doesn't change your past. Forgiving them doesn't change your past. What it does change, your future. The whole of your life opens up when you let go of unforgiveness. And then the Lord said, you can be the good man who out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. Because what he's been treasuring isn't, it's the good things. Paul said, if it's good, if it's lovely, if it's excellent or praiseworthy, what should you do? Think on those things. Put your hand up to your chin again. Think on those things. Say this to me. I'm blessed of God. I've been victimized, but I'm not a victim. I met him. Everything changed from the inside out. He changed my heart so I can change my mind. He changed my heart so I can take captive my thoughts. He changed my heart so I can crack the whip on my flesh. He changed my heart so I have a future. Don't let anything rob you of your future. If it would hinder you, if it's troubling, if it's heartbreaking, if it makes you angry, let it go. Because once you let it go, your future opens up. Make this last confession to me. My best days are ahead of me. My happiest days, where are they? Where's your most productive days? Your most prosperous days? Your healthiest days? Where's the best biscuit you've ever had? Come on, don't fall off on that. Where's the best meal you've ever had? Where's the biggest paycheck you've ever got? Amen. Bow your heads, close your eyes. It's true I like to laugh. But what I've shared with you today is as real as life gets, it's what's going on in your heart and your mind. Because though you might want 2024 to be better, if you don't change what's in your heart and your mind, it can't be. Remember, you reap in like kind of what you've sown. You reap in what kind you sow. I said earlier that when we get born again, God doesn't change our brain. That's our responsibility. God doesn't change our body. That's our responsibility. He changes our heart. 
You may be here and this might be your first Sunday here. On the other hand, you might have been coming for years. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to be honest with yourself right now. The question I'm getting ready to ask you is not a difficult one. You knew the answer when you went to bed last night. You knew the answer when you got up this morning. You knew the answer when I began to minister. In fact, the answer to this question has determined how you've received everything I've shared today. Because my question is this. Is your name in the book? Is your name in the book? When you say yes to Jesus, there's an old song they used to sing when I was a kid, when the roll's called up yonder, I'm going to be there. That Lamb's book of life, wherein they enter the name of every person who's confessed Jesus as their Savior and the Lord of their life. If you've never done that, I don't care how long you've been coming to church. If you don't know that you know that you've stopped at some point and said, I admit my life is broken and I can't fix it. I admit I have sinned and I need a Savior. I admit that I can't exist without you, Father. If you've never done that, you're the entire reason this service took place today. God brought into alignment everything of me being here, you being here, and the whole of this service, this praise and worship time, everything for this very moment where you now have an opportunity to change not only today and tomorrow, but your eternity. And here's what's cool. You don't need a pen. You don't need a password. There's no forms to fill out. You don't have to stand in any lines. The Apostle Paul said you just have to believe in your heart that he loves you and that he's forgiven you and then confess it with your mouth. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus in your heart, but you're ready. Or maybe you did years ago, but you want to rededicate your life to him today. doesn't matter to me either way. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front. But that's the Spirit of God knocking on your heart right now. Don't allow yourself to be distracted. That's the Spirit of God knocking on your heart. You obey God. If you're here today and you're ready to say yes to him, I want you to do something simple. Just where you're seated. I'm just going to pray with you. Just raise your hand where I can see it. Do it right now. I see it. You can put it down. I see it. You can put it down. Church, pray. God's moving. I see it. You can put it down. Here's five, six. Church, keep praying. Seven. Who else would say this is for me today? I admit. I need Jesus. I need a Savior. I want Him to forgive me. Who else? Just raise your hand where I can see it. The Bible says when just one person says yes, every angel in heaven rejoices. We got seven people here today said this is for me. I live for this. Now here's what I want. I want every person in this room to pray out loud this prayer with this seven. Father, I thank you for loving me. So much that you sent your son to die that I might live. I thank you that by his shed blood my sins are now forgiven. I believe that in my heart. Say that again. I believe that in my heart. Say it. I'm forgiven. Say it again. Say, I believe that in my heart. I am forgiven. And by his resurrection, I now have eternal life. I got a new daddy. I'm free from my past. And I have a future. And I'll never look back. In Jesus' name. I want everybody in the room now to raise both hands. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Raise them both. And I want you to just thank God with me, not only for these seven, but for whoever it was that loved you enough to share Jesus with you. Maybe it was Pastor Allen. Maybe it was a childhood pastor, your mom or your dad. Maybe it was me on a previous visit. Whoever it was that had enough love for you to say, you don't need a program, son. You need Jesus. Thank God that they shared his life with you. And that today you stand here bold before his stone of grace. Knowing that his blessings come upon you and overtake you. That you're the head and not the tail. Above and not beneath. A lender and not a borrower. That everything you touch prospers for his name's sake. And that indeed 2024 is going to be a year of destiny for you. March better than February. April better than March. That every month, every day will be a day of victory for you. No matter what happens. No matter what comes your way. No matter what hardship or victimization comes. You'll slough it all off because you say, you know what? I've been made more than a conqueror through him that loves me. He's my vindicator. 
He has the vengeance. I just keep my eyes on him. Thank him today for that. Thank him that that's who you are. That's how he's always seen you. Thank him that you're starting to see yourself like he's always seen you. As an overcomer. Say it, I'm an overcomer. Say this to me, I've been victimized, but I'm not a victim. Say that again. Everybody in the room say it. I'm not a victim. Regardless, I'm not a victim. I'm an overcomer. More than a conqueror through him that loves me. Father, I just thank you for these precious people today. Lord, I pray that everything I've shared today from your word, they were actually your words, that they'd be sown into their heart in such a way there's not enough demons in hell to rob them of it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody say it is done. In my life, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week. 